Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Um, but we're going to spend some time the next few weeks just asking the question again, what is this thing called the armour of God and how can we really put on this armour? Um, recently I went to see a film called uh, Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know if you've seen the film Hacksaw Ridge. It's, it's, I need to say, it's a bit gritty, code for, it's a bit graphic, like don't watch it if you've got like a queasy stomach. Because it's all, all about a, a battle that takes place in the Second World War. And it's all about the true story of this man here called Desmond Doss. And Desmond Doss was a conscientious objector in the Second World War. He had no intention of fighting, but ended up joining um, a, a battalion and going through training. And there comes this beautiful moment in the film where they teach, they say, right, now it's time to teach you how to shoot a gun. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to touch a gun. Uh, he, had a, he had a Christian faith. I'm just not willing to shoot someone else. They said, what are you doing here in the army if you don't want to shoot somebody? So eventually they say, well, look, maybe instead of being in the army, you need to be a medic within the army. They give him this role of becoming a medic. And he stays with the same battalion, um, but he refuses to carry a weapon. And there comes this moment of the, what's called the Battle of Hacksaw Ridge in, if I can get this right, Okinawa in Japan in 1945. And he spends a whole night rescuing single-handedly 75 wounded men, most of which were Americans, but some were also Japanese as well, and lowering them single-handedly off Hacksaw Ridge while under fire. And he's the only conscientious objector ever received the Medal of Honor Someone who's never picked up a weapon, who's never um, tried to hurt someone else, you know, he actually received, as you see in the picture there, received this um, Medal of Honor. But he said this in 2004, just before he died in 2006. He said, they asked, how do you keep on going that evening? He said, he just kept praying to God, saying, let me save just one more. Just one more. There's a whole evangelistic talking there, I'm sure. But he spends his time just going, and, and all night he just lowers these people. One by one, 75 people get rescued. But it makes no sense to go to battle without the right weapons. It makes no sense. And in the story of Ephesians, we're going to read this in a moment, Paul is saying, the writer here, saying, make sure you put on the armor because you need to wear the right thing for the right time. You know, if it's raining, you need an umbrella. If it's sunny, you can wear your, your you know, sunglasses and your flip-flops. But you need to wear the right things for the right occasions. If you're going on an adventure, you need to be wearing the right uh, equipment. The right, you need to be kitted out in the right things. If you're going to go into a battle, especially a spiritual battle, you need to be wearing the armour of God. So if we turn to Ephesians 6 and verses 10 onwards. The words are on the screen, but you can either turn your Bibles on or... Open them up if you would have an old-fashioned version. Here we go. It says this, verse 10. Um, this is the Paul who writing this book here says this. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of righteousness." For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. 
In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. A famous and well-known piece of scripture. Let's just pray for us before I just unpack some of this stuff. Lord God, I thank you for that incredible writer, Paul, who wrote so much in the New Testament, for the instructions he gives to us. Lord, in this concept of being fully equipped, of being kitted out with your armour, Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand what you're trying to say to us through these words, that what was written many years ago will be as relevant to us today, we pray, in this place right now. Amen. Amen. So in that verses there uh, in Ephesians 6, you have so often used six different elements, but I want to put to us there are seven elements of the armour of God. And we're going to spend seven weeks pulling apart each one of those aspects the armour of God, this metaphor that Paul uses. So if we go on to the next screen, we have here the belt of truth. The first thing we have is the belt of truth. Then we have the breastplate of righteousness. We have the shoes of the gospel of peace, helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and then last we have prayer. And I think sometimes the prayer is the bit that gets missed out. Maybe because it's something you can't visually show the Sunday school children. Think about it. You know, we, we, we often show pictures of all these different things. You know, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. But Paul very clearly says at the end of that passage there, he says, um, and then pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert, be persistent in your prayers. It's very much part of the armor of God. It's not a separate afterthought. It's a very important integral piece to this armor of God. So over the next seven weeks, including today, we're going to spend time looking at those aspects of the armor of God. What does it mean for us today? How do we get fully equipped with the armor of God? I want to talk specifically today about the belt of truth. In fact, the question I want to ask today is, what is the belt of truth in a post-truth world? What is, how can we wear the belt of truth in a post-truth world? world. Now, if you've never heard of the phrase post-truth, then you've missed out on the word of the year 2016. I thought it was two words, but this is according to the, uh, the Oxford English Dictionary. Last year they voted, I don't know who they are, but somebody in the Oxford English Dictionary headquarters voted post-truth, the word of the year. And I'll read to you exactly what it says in the Oxford English Dictionary. Post-truth means relating to or denoting circumstances where objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than what appeals to our emotion and personal belief. In essence, people today are more interested in how they feel about something than what is necessarily fact. Especially when most people feel something, that must be true, whereas Forget the facts, they're a bit confusing, too much detail. I'd rather go with the masses than maybe somebody in the corner going, I don't think that's true. And the word became famous, if you go on to the next screen, we've got this. Um, we had Brexit earlier this year, didn't we? Brexit last year, sorry, in June last year. We won't get political this, uh, this morning, don't worry. Uh, but there was this Brexit vote and people were making loads of claims about what was going to happen if we stayed in the EU or if we left EU. Incredible claims were being made, numbers were being bounced around, and people didn't know what to think. And people, you know, disclaimed and said, no, it's not true. And even now, people still can't 
completely agree what was true and not true of what was said. And even when the vote came in, and you'll know there was a 52% to 48%, and there was a very clear, if not big, it was a clear winning margin, people still didn't want to agree to the fact that there was a vote that happened and that was true. Could we undo this? Could we go back to some court somewhere? And can we, we don't want to believe the fact that's put in front of us. And then in November, we had the, we had the, uh, the Donald Trump um, and Hillary Clinton election in America. You know, Donald Trump is an incredible soap opera in the States, isn't it? I mean, the White House is like, who's coming, who's going, what's being said, what's true, what's not true. And this concept of fake news, that doesn't really matter what's being said, we just turn it around and say, oh, I don't think that's even true. However factual you want to make things, actually what's on 140 characters on D Donald Trump's you know, Twitter feed is more important than what actually is fact. And we get confused about what is real and what is not real, what is true and what is not true. I found this fascinating piece of information this week. Facebook. If you go onto Facebook and you set up a Facebook account, you used to have the choice of whether you put in your male or female. Now they've changed it. You have 71 options. I know you're laughing. There are 71 options of what you can be gender, called as your gender on Facebook. There's only 51 in the States, but in the UK, we needed 20 more to describe ourselves. Uh, have a look. It's true. It's on there. You can choose whatever sort of gender you want to be. I looked at the list. It's very confusing. But Facebook has come with this new thing. It's no longer black and white. It's, you know, one or not. It's, it's not binary. It's not male or female. It's like you can be almost whatever you want to be. And even things I, just, I generally do not understand. And then this one, I love, love this one. Um, Sergeant Peter Allen tweeted last year. He went into Sainsbury's and he took a picture of feminine care above all feminine hygiene products. And he, he, he tweeted Sainsbury's, said, this is ridiculous. We should be gender neutral. Could you please change your signage for the feminine hygiene products? Sainsbury's started taking down the signs to change them for just a personal hygiene. A crazy situation. Um, you've also got there, you'll see in the middle, um, that's, that lady there is actually called Caitlyn Jenner. Some of you will know she's a, a celebrity. Caitlyn Jenner used to be Bruce Jenner, the athlete back in the day, but had a, a sex change and became a woman. She then went on to say, I call myself a traditionalist and I don't agree with same-sex marriage which confused the world even more. We're not sure what is right, what is wrong, and how do these things stack up. It gets even more bizarre. Caitlyn Jenner was actually um, nominated as the Glamour Magazine Woman of the Year Award, and she hadn't even been a woman for the full year. That's a minor thing. Wow. Okay, we're going to throw more, some more things at you here. Um, Jermaine Greer there, you may know. She's a well-known feminist, got some very strong views about uh, feminism. Um, she was uh, petitioned recently because she was speaking at Cardiff University. And uh, she has a very strong opinion about people who have, were once men and becoming women. She doesn't recognize them as fully female. And she's got a strong opinion on that. So thousands of people went online and voted to stop her from speaking at Cardiff University because they didn't agree with what she thought about men becoming women and she, she, you know it's just like you read this sort of stuff you get confused going what is real what is not real anymore what is true what is not true James McConnell a pastor in Belfast down in the corner there of your screen he was preaching in his church of about a hundred people and he preached about Islam and how he believed that Islam was satanic within a matter of days he was arrested and he was tried for some of the things he said because suddenly what you say, you can't just say whatever you want to say. You might get arrested for saying something that could be deemed offensive. 
Ofsted are starting to ask the question, how can they inspect churches and children's programs in churches and youth programs in churches to make sure there is not extremism within the Christian faith? They don't really know what extremism is. You know, is teaching a child a story about Jesus extremism? Because you start telling some of the stories about the Christian faith, it definitely is extremism. You know, it is propaganda. We are teaching our children some of the truth about who Jesus is. That doesn't always line up with the post-truth concept. And we live in this very confused world. All those stories are real. They are true stories that we are having to experience as a nation right now in this post-truth society. I find it absolutely fascinating. And I want to ask the question, how do we as Christians wear this thing called a belt of truth when we're living in a post-truth society where truth doesn't really matter anymore? How do we even do that? So when we look at this book of Ephesians, if we go back to Ephesians 6, this is an incredible uh, book. Like I mentioned already, it was a guy called Paul who wrote it. Paul is um, one of the apostles of Jesus. Um, he didn't actually, he wasn't one of the disciples, but he became converted to the faith on the um, Damascus Road. It's a well-known story. And he writes like half the New Testament single-handedly. And the book of Ephesians was written to a group of churches in western Turkey. And in some ways, it wasn't really a letter. It was more like a, a circular he wrote down some ideals. He wrote about how he should live in the light, how you should be united, how you should treat your husband or your wife, how you should treat your children or your parents, how should you treat your employers or those that are slaves to you. And he gives all this great advice. And it's like a circle that was going around to various churches. And Ephesus was the biggest city at that time. It was a port city. It was on the river, um, just coming in from western Turkey. And there's loads of other churches around the area there that Paul had begun. And he was writing to all of them. So although it's addressed to Ephesus, it was actually passed around from church to church and would be read out publicly. And so when Paul gets to the very last chapter of Ephesians 6 and gives all this great advice, this kind of almost written preach, he then says this final piece, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He starts this whole concept about how we can be filled with uh, how you can wear the armor of God. You know, at the time when Paul wrote Ephesians, he was actually um, in prison himself. He was, well, he was under house arrest. He was in Rome and he was under house arrest. And I've got one of these visual minds. I kind of create things in the Bible that aren't necessarily true. It's a bit dangerous thing for a church leader to say that, but just bear with me. Paul's under house arrest and probably under house arrest by a couple of Roman soldiers. It's very likely he was actually being guarded at the door. He wasn't in prison per se. He was actually in his home while they tried to work out what to do with him. And so I have this idea that Paul's sitting there writing to the church in Ephesus. And he thinks, you know what? That armor is a great kind of analogy of what we should be like as Christians. And as you saw the Roman soldiers every day, you know, we need to have a helmet like that. We need to have a shield of faith. We need to have a sword that's like the Bible, the sword of the Spirit. And he creates this metaphor it's not real. I'm sorry if you came here this morning thinking we were going to hand out real helmets and real belts and real, you know, imagine that. We've got a belt of, belt of truth to hand out to you this morning. Some of you would love that. I don't know. It sounds a bit of a you know, Christian fashion parade. But this was just a, a metaphor that Paul was using to say, this is really important. After all the things I've said to you in this book, I want to say to you, finally, put on the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Because there's stuff out there that you need to be ready for. We need to wear the right clothing for the right job. And so as we look at this idea of the belt of truth, the belt of truth is just part of the whole. 
I want to say a few things this morning as part of this intro to the armor of God, because I'm trying to combine a little bit of an overview of the armor of God as well as the belt of truth itself. Firstly, I want to say this. There is a real battle going on. There is a real battle going on. I think that the devil, um, his biggest kind of desire is to actually fool us into thinking there's nothing happening. He doesn't exist. He's not real. We have no requirement to pray or put on any of the armor because it's, 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 it's not a big deal. There is a real battle going on. If you don't know it, then you need to start recognizing what's going on behind the things you're facing challenges with. God is real. And if you have a faith in God, therefore, there must be an evil one. There is the one that comes against God and his people. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a battle for your life. There's a battle for your family's lives. And there's a battle for those around you. And there is a real battle. We need to put on this full armor. You know, you don't need armor if you're not in a battle. You don't need the armor if you're not in a... And if you're a Christian doesn't need the armor, I would, I would ask the question, are you fully engaged with your Christian faith? Are you really pursuing things of God if you're not really needing the armor? Because if you're not in a battle, if you're back in HQ, if you're having a bit of a lie down, you know, you, you could be wearing your pajamas and snuggling up to your, your favorite teddy. But if you're in the battle, you need the armor. You need to be wearing the right tools, the right equipment for the right time. In that moment of Hackstall Ridge, that film, you know, that, that, that foolishness of not taking a gun into a battle was confusing for the rest of the members of that battalion. Because we need to be wearing and have been equipped with the right things. So first of all, we are in a battle. And this battle is a spiritual one. And I think in the Western church, sometimes we dismiss this concept of a spiritual battle. I think in the Western world, we, we can so organize ourselves. You know, we can, we can find some money to pay for things, find resources to sort things out, find some people to help make things happen. And if we're not careful, we can ignore the fact there is a spiritual battle taking place. And we can go, we can fix it. If we just get enough funds together, enough people together, enough resources together, we will sort this out. There is a spiritual battle taking place in our nation right now. And the devil's desire is that we just all take our hands off the steering wheel. We just all chill out and go, you know what? It's okay. We'll sing some more songs. It'll be all right. There is a spiritual battle taking place, and we need to engage with what um, is going on around us. It's, it's so important that we understand that you know, the church, I believe, is in danger of becoming some kind of entertainment. Seriously, some kind of entertainment. I read a quote this week by Shane Claiborne. He said this, The reason the young generation, the reason they will leave the church, is not because we haven't entertained them enough. It's because we haven't challenged them enough. It's not because we haven't entertained them, it's because we haven't challenged them. The Christian faith should be a challenging one. And I think sometimes we say to people, you know, come and find Jesus, all your fears will wash away. Your life will be hunky-dory. It'll be sorted. And actually, no, you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that means you stand for something. Which means other things are no longer the case. You can no longer participate in other activities. And we make a choice. This is where we're going to go. We're turning away. Repentance means returning 180 degrees from where we were going to where we want to be going. And we're changing our approach. And there is a spiritual battle. And we mustn't just dis dismiss this and go, oh, well, if I turn up at church on a Sunday, I sing a few songs, even better, I'm on the big team and set some chairs up, then I'm all right. This is a spiritual everyday battle that we need to engage with and re-engage with. If you have lost that kind of understanding that there is a Christian battle, a spiritual battle taking place, we need to rediscover that God who takes us there. You know, our job as a church and as church leaders is not to just kind of make you have a fun time on a Sunday. I hope you enjoy coming to church. 
But the purpose of the church, the purpose of us as leaders, purpose of me as a preacher is not to entertain you, but to build you up. To help you, each one of you, to flourish as followers of Jesus Christ. My desire is each one of you has stories to tell of how God uses you every single day. Not just how wonderful the church is, but how wonderful your God is. And as he works through your life, it makes a difference. We're here to make a difference. We, a spiritual uh, battle is going on all around us. The good news is, we read in Ephesians 6, and Paul says this. He said, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. God will strengthen you. Before you put on the armour, you need to know where your strength comes from. Before, you know, in that example of, of, of Hacksaw Ridge, they had to have training before they were given the equipment. You don't give a new soldier on their first day a gun and say, off you go. You train them in how to be physically you know, strong, to be able to run and to be able to you know, just survive and to be working together as a team. God will strengthen you. Before you get kitted out with the armor of God, remember your source, God himself. God is the one who will strengthen you. And I think sometimes, and I am guilty of this as anyone else, sometimes I think, I, I can fix this. You know, this morning... When I arrived at church this morning, they had, as we mentioned earlier, a few problems getting things sorted out. And everything in me goes, oh, I'm sure we can find a cable. I'm sure I I thought maybe I can get involved here. Then I realized that was probably not going to help anybody at all. But, you know, we can fix this. There's always a way of fixing everything. But we have to remember who our source is. And we have to turn. I said, guys, it's time to pray. We need to pray this morning. We need to spend time not getting distracted by stuff, but by getting attracted to God himself. And as we allow God to strengthen us, he will then equip us with what we need for the battles ahead. God must always be our source. He must always be the one we turn to. And we need to be very careful when we suddenly try to fix the world around us. You know, all the needs you have in your family, the needs you have in your workplace, the needs you have in your finances, first, we turn to God. Say, God, will you strengthen me? Will you be my source? And we often need to start by saying, God, I'm sorry, where I turn to other things. You know, we can Google self-help videos on YouTube. We can find all kinds of stuff. We can even listen to great preachers and we can buy books and we can kind of, really, we need to get back to the source by going to the word of God himself and saying, God, will you be my strength? Before I even think about putting on belts of truth and anything else, God, will you strengthen me? There is a battle. It's a spiritual one. God will strengthen you. And then this piece here, when we turn from Ephesians 6 and we get to, um, let's get this right here, verse 14 or 13. We'll go back a verse. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. That after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. One of the things I want to say today is it's really important that we stand firm. I think we don't often give people credit for standing. Sometimes we're in admiration of people who do something very clever. Something only lasts for a short time. A new idea, a new concept, a new buzzword. But there are people who are loyal and committed and say, I'm going to stand firm. I've had my disappointments. I've had my upsets. But I'm refusing to sit down and go, I'm standing firm. This, this isn't enough. I'm standing for my family. I'm standing for my workplace. I'm standing for my friends. I'm standing for my parents. I'm standing for my children. I'm standing firm. And sometimes all we can do is just stand firm. We can't have the fight. We just need to go, I'm just going to stand firm. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to be with them. 
and standing firm. And I think often people don't get credit for just being consistent. No, no one gets many kind of, you know, kind of points these days for being loyal. You know, remember, we used to get golden handshakes for doing 10 years, 15, 20 years with a company. Now, if you look at someone's CV and they've been with a company a long time, you're like, well, what's wrong with that person? Loyalty is a great thing. Standing firm is a powerful thing. And it's something we need to do. Throughout history, people have stood firm for what they believe in. Rosa Parks sat, to be fair, rather than stood, but she sat firmly. So I've had enough of this whole segregation stuff. It's, it can't carry on. And we must be people that stand firm. Alice Cooper, the rock musician, said this, if you don't know what you stand for, you'll fall for anything. If you don't know what you stand for, you'll fall for anything. And it's important that as Christians, we stand and say, actually, in this confusing post-truth world, I want to say I stand for something. I stand for Jesus and who he is. I'm standing for his way of doing life. And it may offend you, it may upset you, but I'm standing. I'm not going to tell you how you live your life. But I'm saying this is what I wanted to do. This is the decision that I'm going to make. And we just stand where we see things going on around us. Where sometimes I think as Christians and maybe as the church, we've been so tolerant. We've been so designed to be kind and maybe politically correct. That actually we've gone so quiet. We're not standing. We're just, we're just whimpering in the background. And maybe moaning at home, but not doing anything. Can I say we need to stand firm. The Bible there says stand firm with the belt of truth. This belt of truth was the first thing you'd put on. When a Roman soldier would put on their armor, they would have their undergarment on, you'd be pleased to hear. And the belt of truth would be the thing that gathered up the undergarment. You know, in the King James Version, it talks about girding up your loins. Always a slightly uncomfortable phrase, I feel. But it is the phrase that gets used in an older version here. Um, In Luke 12, um, it says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning ready. Or gird up your loins. We need to be this idea that the belt of truth goes on first because it pulls everything together before the rest of the armor goes on. The truth is so important. The truth is the thing that holds everything together. It gathers up all the things we understand, the things we believe to be true, and pulls it together and says, this is what I'm about. And we pull that belt tight and we say, I am ready for the rest of the armor of God. The the belt of truth is even more important in a post-truth world, where people care more about how they feel than what they believe to be true. They are looking for people who say, actually, I'm going to stand and put on my belt of truth and say, this is what I'm about can I also just challenge us as well about not participating in some of the things of post-truth thinking? When you share things online, can you just check they're true before you pass them on? Seriously, it's amazing what people will do. Christians, we're some of the worst. Last year, there was an article that went flying, early this year actually, went, went flying around about a celebrity called um, James Corden, that he'd become a Christian. And everyone, every Christian loves a story about somebody in fa- who's famous becoming a Christian. But it wasn't true. He was interviewed and he tells a story about how his parents were Christians. And I think they were Salvation Army. And he tells a story, a brilliant story, about how he was in a real mess. He got himself in a bit of a pickle. You can read it all online. And um, he went to see his parents in a complete mess, crying. So I'm just, I've just stuffed up my life. And he tells this story about his parents saying, can we pray for you? And they laid their hands and their parents, they, his parents prayed for him. That was the story. There was no faith story. There was just a, I have Christian parents and they pray for me story. But all the Christians went, share that. That's a brilliant story. James Corden, bang. And all we do is undermine the truth 
every time we celebrate something that isn't true. So can I ask you to check your sources before you tell people what you think is true. All those things I said to you earlier, they're all true. I looked them up. I checked them up. I didn't want to say things, especially today, about belt of truth and say things that weren't true. Um, even though I often say, never let the truth spoil a good story. <clears throat> On this occasion, I'm trying to be as truthful as I possibly can for the sake of the topic in question today. <laughs> but post-truth is nothing new. It isn't anything new. It's something that's been around for centuries. You know, in Isaiah um, chapter 59... Um, Here's what Isaiah writes. Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. Truth stumbles. I love that kind of image. Truth stumbles in the streets. You know, truth back in the time of Isaiah was seen as something that kind of wouldn't always actually argue the case in court. It would stumble in the streets. And then if you turn to um, John chapter 18... And you've got the whole uh, moment where Jesus is being tried by Pontius Pilate. Uh, Pontius Pilate was the governor at the time, and he was responsible for the, uh, Jesus in court in front of him. John chapter 18, and let's find these words. Let's go from about verse 37. Pilate turns to Jesus and says this. So Jesus has been, um, he's been beaten up by the Roman soldiers, been thrown in front of Pilate. The crowds are saying, want to crucify Jesus. And Pontius Pilate is trying to discover the truth of what is going on. And so Pilate says this to Jesus, so you are a king, Uh, verse 37. Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Jesus was saying, I'm the truth. I'm the one that people are looking for when they're confused about where they're going. I am the truth. And then Pilate says this in verse 38, what is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, he's not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary who had killed many people. He had committed crime. Jesus hadn't. One person deserved death. One didn't. The very situation where Jesus ended up dying on a cross was a post-truth situation where the crowd says, we don't care what is true, we just want to get rid of him. You know, the fact that Barabbas has killed people and Jesus hasn't, we don't care about the reality. We just want to go with the mass crowd here that's saying, crucify Jesus. Jesus himself was a victim of post-truth. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Millions of people today, in fact, billions of people today follow Jesus Christ and they see him as their source of truth. This Christian faith of those of you who call yourself Christians today, it's all about this belt of truth, of wrapping yourself up and saying, I believe in Jesus and he is truth. That there is no other way of getting to the Father except through him. There is an alternative method. There isn't, a, there isn't a, a petition we can sign online to get us into heaven. It can't be done. You know, the crowds might say, yes, we can. But the Bible says, the source of truth says that Jesus is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. We need people who are prepared to answer the question the world still asks thousands of years later, like Pontius Pilate did, what is truth? 1 Timothy 3 says this, The church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. 
as the church, we're meant to be a foundation of the truth. The church must be the voice of truth, the one that speaks out truth, that says this is true to a generation that's been brought up in an era of no absolutes. People are desperately looking for an answer, and we know who the answer is. And as a church, we have a responsibility to be the pillar of truth and say this is how it needs to be done. But can I add this as well? That we need to do this in love. There are many Christians out there who would say they are truth Christians. The truth is more important than loving your neighbor. And they will stand up for things and they will wave their placards and they will sometimes be very abusive about their beliefs to others. There is a way of, with your truth, of standing firm, with your belt tied tightly around you, that isn't about telling other people how to live their lives, but just saying, for me and my household, this is what we're doing. We've drawn our line. We're standing firm. This is what we're about. And, and, and when, we, when we use truth, we always need to mix it with love. Always mix it. I mean, Jesus, you look at how many times Jesus challenged people about their behavior. Look at how he did it. He was only unkind to religious leaders. He was blunt and brutal with them. But with people who were caught in situations like adultery or people who had multiple marriages or, or circumstances that, that were completely out of line, Jesus was so loving and so gracious and would often give them a, a challenge or ask them a question or tell a story. When we bring truth into a conversation, can I just say as followers of Jesus Christ, as members of Freedom Church, can we do it with love? I'm not saying wash it, water it down. I'm saying make sure truth and love go hand in hand. Why? Because Jesus did it. Jesus was the embodiment of truth. Because, you know, truth is not really a thing. It's not really a fact or a, a binary number. Truth is Jesus Christ himself. Truth is a person. And we believe in truth because we believe in the person who represents truth. And our love for Jesus as the owner and occupier of truth itself. He is the one who completely sets us free. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. When we wrap that belt around us, it's not just about a physical belief in this God or this Christian faith. It's about going, I want to be in relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And as I pull that belt tight around me, it's like I'm saying, I want to be closer to Jesus himself. We'll get the worship team back up here. We're going to bring some things to an end. I want to challenge us this morning as... The first part of our series on the armor of God. We're going to do a bit more tonight um, at the seven. We're going to got some got some fun creative ideas, and I've only been given ten minutes tonight. You'll be glad to hear. So a bit shorter. Um, you know, the world may be shouting that we don't care about the truth, that all we care about is how we feel, but we have a responsibility as followers of Christ, the very essence of truth Himself, to stand firm in love, and to create clarity in a really murky world. You know, right now there is a messed up world. We are in a time where, you know, as a nation, we have had a freedom of speech and freedom of faith for generations. But there is coming a time, there already is a time where we are facing challenges like never before. We are facing challenges. Now, we could run for the hills. We could hide away and go underground. Or we could stand firm. And I think it's time for the church. And I've been feeling challenged this week as I've been preparing this word going, I need to stand firm in some more things. I think sometimes I've gone quiet in conversations because I don't want to offend somebody. There's a time to say, actually, I don't agree with you. I actually think there's a different way of seeing that story. There's a different way of behaving. And I'm not telling you how you should do your life, but I'm telling you this is how I want to do my life. And that isn't the way we're going to do things in our family. 
And there's a time to stand up and stand firm. The world is desperate to discover this truth, this Jesus, this person that loves them. You know, I'm convinced that everybody is looking for a way back to God. Everybody is looking for their father, that they want to connect back to him. And we are the ones who can point people to Jesus. Not just by the words we say, but by the way that we are. Just by standing firm. Just by standing firm with this belt of truth. And so I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts um, before we go into our final song. That's all right, Jim. I just believe there's some people here today who you know it's time to stand firm. You know there's some things that you just just let slip. You've just gone, you know what? I'm only me. I can't make a difference. But it's time to stand firm with the belt of truth fastened firmly around you. And some of you stand firm in your families and say, you know what? That's not okay anymore. That's not acceptable. We're not having that kind of behavior or attitude or whatever's going on. Or in our workplaces where things are happening around you and you feel helpless. You have the strength of God within you. We have all the armor of God we can explore the next few weeks to support you, encourage you, to prepare you, to protect you. We need to stand firm. There's some people, I just really feel like there's some people who know that I need to stand firm. I'm not saying you need to go into work tomorrow morning with, you know, some kind of big badge upon your suit or uh, to wear a placard or a big bumper stick on the back of your car or something. I'm just talking about being who God's called you to be in your community, in your college, in your school, in your place of work, in your family, to stand firm. And the last thing is around this belt of truth. I just kind of felt like, you know, the belt of truth for me is an image of our closeness to God, closest to his son, Jesus Christ, that as we hold the truth close, so we can put on the rest of the armor. And I just felt like some people here this morning that maybe the belt's become a little bit loose. Your relationship with Jesus has become a little bit ad hoc. That sometimes you feel close, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you go through the motions, sometimes you're not. I just kind of feel like some people need to, at the beginning of a new season, of a new teaching series, need to pull the belt a bit tighter. To reconnect to Jesus himself. To actually, I'm sorry where I've let that slip. I'm sorry where I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've said things, thought things, watched things I shouldn't have done. But now I want to reconnect to Jesus and pull the belt tighter. So if that's you today, I just want to ask us all to stand together. I'm not going to expose anyone, <laughs> get people to stand by themselves. Let's all stand together as a declaration of this statement. We stand firm then with a belt of truth wrapped around us. And if as we sing our final song, if you would love to speak to someone, to get someone to pray with you, go, yeah, I want to stand firm. I want someone to come alongside me and pray for me and my family or my community or my workplace. We'd love to do it. As a ministry team, get ministry team come and join us down here. But let's see people who stand firm stand firm, stand together, stand for his purposes, stand for truth in a world that needs to hear the voice of truth. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you in an uncertain world, you are the God who says you're the same yesterday, today and forever. Where we are inconsistent, you are consistent. Where sometimes our foundations crumble, you are our rock and our fortress. Lord, we're so glad we serve a God who is so vast, so big, and so reliable. Father, today we pray that if we have let that relationship with you slip, that our belt is not as tight as it should be, pray, Lord, today that we reconnect. If 
there are people here today who've never said yes to following Jesus, would love to do that today. Today is a great day. So yes, I want to be someone who wears that belt of truth. And for those of us who just maybe not stood firm, that you know it's a bit awkward, I'd rather just say nothing. I'd rather be tolerant. I'd rather be politically correct. God, help us to be people who stand firm, to look for those opportunities, to reflect your heart, your love for people around us by standing firm that we would be strong in you, that you would be our strength, we pray, in these days to come. Amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.